often vulgar, always explicit, and sometimes funny. Slap box. Slap box. Welcome to the Slapbox Podcast. This is episode 596. I am your host, Josh Albrecht, recording once again inside the Slapbox Penthouse. Not sure where my trusty sidekick agent, Fox Mulder, is. I'm sure he's around somewhere, galloping around on his three legs. Uh, it's not too far off from his feeding time, so I mean, he's going to be flipping out before too long. He's, uh, and he's probably pretty upset with me. I was gone most of last night, as uh, it was one of the old roommates' uh, birthdays uh, yesterday. Or well, uh, Wednesday, sorry, but uh, we went over there for her birthday yesterday. Uh, yesterday was Friday. Recording this on Saturday. <laughs> But, uh, yes, it was her birthday, Tony's birthday, and, uh, I got her a couple of true crime books, and she was, uh, she's, she's a big fan of the true crime, I like some true crime, I like to learn about that shit, and, uh, let's see, I got, got her, uh, uh, the one book was, Devil in the White City, I believe, was the title on that one. That one was uh, about the serial killer H.H. Holmes, one of uh, America's worst serial killers. And then the other one was uh, a book written by uh, Michelle McNamara who was uh, married to Patton Oswald and she uh she was researching about the Golden State Killer and uh I believe she passed away before they uh caught the Golden State Killer she I th- I want to say she died of cancer I could be wrong on that um <laughs> and uh they eventually uh because of her like research on it actually uh would lead them to the actual golden state killer um and uh that book's title is I'll be gone in the dark and apparently there's an HBO series I never saw the series I would like to as uh I do not have uh HBO <laughs> um but uh I hear it's good if you like the uh, true crime stuff I mean it's a uh, very very well uh, rated book as far as all of that is concerned. Tony was pretty excited about that one. She was uh, wanting to read it and thankfully did not have it. So I chose wisely. Uh, always good when you know you can choose wisely for a gift. And uh, yeah, H.H. H. Holmes, man, that guy was a that, that dude was fucked up. It was uh, around the time of. Uh, The, uh, <laughs> Jack the Ripper, I blanked out, like, the ki- the big killer in London. <laughs> he, uh, he was active around that same time. There is theories that H.H. H. Holmes was also, uh, Jack the Ripper, as, uh, they think that he, uh, I guess he visited London around that time, too, um, but there's, like, I think very little proof that or any kind of evidence to suggest that he was. Uh, but, I mean, obviously he was a murderer, so, you know. <laughs> Good chance that maybe he's just like, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill here too. I'm going to cross the pond and do some murdering. There used to be a, okay, uh, like a docu-series, or no, I guess it was just like one documentary and one, it wasn't a series. I think it was just a documentary. On the old Netflix, I don't know if it's still there. On H. H. Holmes, uh, it was his. Uh, I guess his original name was Herman Webster Mudgett, 
better known as Dr. Henry Howard Holmes or H.H. Holmes. It sounds like, you know, very uh, Sherlock Holmesian. <laughs> Holmes. H. Uh, but of that age, I mean, H.H. H. Holmes does sound very Dr. H.H. H. Holmes. I mean, I think he chose a wise name. Uh, he was an American con artist and serial killer active. This is uh, according to Wikipedia. So, uh, you know, I don't know how accurate this is. He was uh, a serial killer active between 1891 and 1894. So he had like a three-year stretch there. By the time of his execution in 1896, Holmes had engaged in a lengthy criminal career that included insurance fraud, forgery, swindling, three or four bigamous illegal marriages, horse theft, and murder. His most notorious crimes took place in Chicago around the time of the World's Columbian Exposition in 1893. Despite his confession of 27 murders, including some people who were verifiably still alive, uh, Holmes was convicted and sentenced to death for only one murder, that of business partner and accomplice Benjamin Peitzel. Uh, it is believed he also killed three of Peitzel's children as well as three mistresses, the child of one mistress and the sister of another. Holmes was hanged on May 7th, 1896, at the age of 34. Uh, much of the lore attached to Holmes concerns the so-called murder castle. Um, which uh, co I believe they base most of uh, the hotel season of American Horror Story on. Anyway, it's a three-story building he commissioned in Chicago. Details about the building, along with many of his alleged crimes, are considered exaggerated or fabricated or sensationalistic tabloid pieces, with some accounts estimating his body count could be as high as 133 or even 200. Many of these inaccuracies have persisted due to the combination of ineffective police investigation and hyperbolic yellow journalism of the period, which are often cited as historical record. Holmes gave various contradictory accounts of his life, initially claiming innocence and later that he was possessed by Satan. His propensity for lying has made it difficult for researchers to ascertain the truth on the basis of his statements. For example, he claimed that Dr. Robert Leacock, a fellow medical school classmate, was one of his first murder victims in 1886. He killed for insurance money when Leacock died on October 5th, 1889 in Watford, Ontario, Canada. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, he was, I guess, alive whenever, uh, uh, or at least, yeah, he was, yeah, he died much later. But uh, anyway, since the 1990s, Holmes has often been described as a serial killer. In his book about Holmes, author Adam Seltzer writes, Just killing several people isn't necessarily enough for most definitions of a serial killer. More often, it has to be a series of uh, similar crimes committed over a period of time, usually more to satisfy a psychological urge on the killer's part than any other practical motive. The murders we can connect Holmes to generally had a clear motive. Someone knew too much or was getting in his way and couldn't be trusted. The murders weren't simply for love or bloodshed, but a necessary part of furthering his swindling operations and protecting his lifestyle. Oh, uh, let's just... I, I want to hear about the, the murders. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in here. I mean, from what I understand, again... With the the truth, I don't know what the truth is and what it isn't, but the, like especially during the World's Fair, I mean, he converted this like hotel into just like uh, I I think he was doing like experiments and shit on these people, doing some real fucked up shit. Um, like there's a, I'm trying to see if there's like a, the, I wish this was more of, <laughs> uh. Like some cliff notes here. There's a. It gets pretty involved on this Wikipedia page, um, but uh, I I want to say too. Like I think he made some money by. Maybe I'm getting confused with the plot <laughs> or one of the 
the plot points to Gangs of New York because I, if I remember correctly, okay, like I think in my head that I I recall hearing H. H. Holmes had killed people and then sold their bodies to uh, medical testing, but that's also something that happens in Gangs of New York. I am old. I might be confusing, conflating the two here, <laughs> or maybe they're just both. I don't know. I know that the. He definitely had some crazy shit going on during the World's Fair. Um, as uh, it just doesn't get, like talk much about it. Just talks about the murders, but doesn't really get into the uh, murder house so much. Uh, damn it! Yeah. Anyway, I mean. If you're interested in serial killers, I mean, H.H. Holmes is one of the the DOGs. That was a long time ago. I really, I really doubt he was the uh, Jack the Ripper there. Um, if I remember correctly from watching one of the many, you know, videos there are about Jack the Ripper, that might have like the most videos of uh any like serial killer but cuz you know everybody's got a theory on who that was i i bet there's probably new theories let's see here let's <laughs> see who was jack the ripper i'm going to sh- bet there's probably re- recent articles within like the f- past few days on this let's go news <laughs> oh Discover yeah, a day ago. <laughs> These clues get us closer to solving Jack the Ripper's identity. There's no way to know for sure at this point. Like, how are you gonna fucking know? I don't think there's any DNA evidence left behind from the eighteen hundreds from the Ripper case. Much less even if there was, how are you gonna find DNA of the person that actually fucking did it? I guess find the relatives. But still, man, that's... Okay, let's see what Discover Magazine has to say about it. It says here, uh, These clues get us closer to solving Jack the Ripper's identity. For many Ripperologists... I am not. I am not a Ripperologist. <laughs> I never have been. Don't, don't think I'm going to become one. Anywho, the most fascinating murders are also the most muddled. Investigate the mysteries of Jack the Ripper case, including the identity and motivations of the storied culprit. It was the fall of 1888, and the inhabitants of London were frozen with fear. The air of Whitechapel is thick with murders and rumors of murder. An article in the Star announced in September, Whitechapel is panic-stricken with its inhabitants too terrified to travel the twisting, smoggy streets alone. The widespread terror in Whitechapel was all thanks to the work of a murderous maniac, according to the article, who stalks through the streets targeting the most miserable and defenseless classes of the community. This maniac had already murdered four and was set to murder more. Today, the shadows that surround these crimes are still as thick as they were in the 1800s. While we know the... Synonymous name, uh, synonymous name of the murderer. Uh, uh, I'm having a tough time reading today. Jack the Ripper. We know that. Uh, name de jeu or whatever. Uh, the murderer's identity and motivations remain mysterious. So, what are our chances of knowing more? The identity of Jack the Ripper. To the initial investigators, the two most suspicious suspects for the five canonical crimes were Montague Druitt, a Dorset-born barrister, and Aaron Kazminski, a Polish barber. Both were believed to be insane, according to an account from 1894, and aggressive towards women, while Druitt, the son of a surgeon, was thought to possess some semblance of surgical skill. Yet in the years since the conclusion of the investigation, countless new suspects have been proposed by Ripperologists. Still interested in the case, among these new suspects are Chaim Himes and H.H. H. Holmes, 
both of whom had a history of violence. All right, here, let's get into the, the thick of it here now. Was Haim Himes, Jack the Ripper, Himes, a cigar maker in Whitechapel, was first institutionalized in 1889, some seven weeks following the fifth and final murder. For assaulting his wife and his mother with a knife, medical records reveal he had a stiff arm and uh, asymmetric stride and suffered from frequent severe seizures, which worsened his violent tendencies over time. His physical condition was consistent with the accounts of several witnesses who claimed that the culprit walked with a shuffle. And his mental condition crumbled in time with the Ripper's crimes, though the arguments against Himes are all circumstantial. Some Ripperologists are convinced of his culpability, including an author, Sarah Bax Horton, who compiled a case against him in her 2023 book, One-Armed Jack, Uncovering the Real uh, Jack the Ripper. Was H.H. Holmes the Ripper? I'm going to say I'm going to say no, but let's go over what they have to say here. Another theory accuses the American serial killer H.H. Holmes of the Ripper's crimes. In 1886, Holmes started to target individuals in Chicago, slaughtering them, according to some sources, to steal their wealth. Though some say that Holmes murdered as many as 200 people over the next 10 years, trapping, torturing, dissecting their bodies, others suspect that the true number is nearer to nine. Uh, 2011, author Jeff Mudgett set out to prove that Holmes was also the Ripper. His argument presented in part in his book Bloodstains, has been criticized by biographer Adam Selzer as and others. Among Mudgett's pieces of circumstantial evidence, most crucial and his assertions that Holmes' appearance and handwriting were consistent with those of the Ripper, which he supports with witnesses' uh, accounts and handwriting analysis from one of the Ripper's messages to the press supposedly sent in September of 1888. Uh, also known as the Whitechapel murder, Jack the Ripper was an active serial killer in the streets of London in the 1800s. One of the most mysterious and terrifying criminals of all time, the Ripper has attracted attention and the speculation of countless crime aficionados since the time of the fences over a century ago. Okay, that's just who was Jack the Ripper. So I'm, that's all the evidence they had on Holmes. Um, uh, I guess I could read, continue reading. I mean... There's not that much left. Well, there's a there's a while left in in the uh, thing. I was just more curious about the suspects here. Uh, was Jack the Ripper real? Well, you know, do do do. Like how? Did <laughs> yeah, there's still. I don't see anything really new in this article. Um, this is all stuff that's kind of. I've seen plenty of times over. But again, it was just posted a day ago. They put this fucking article out. Saying, hey, okay. Da, da, da. Here we go. This is kind of in conclusion here. Was Jack, what's, yeah, well, I'll read over that. Was the Jack the Ripper real part here? Uh, from all of this, it's safe to say that the Ripper was an actual person who committed actual atrocities against the women of Whitechapel. But while the murder and murders were real the fact remains that much of our inherited knowledge about the ripper is murky or invented an artifact of uh, old prejudices a product of sensationalized press and an amalgam of speculations past and present who the murderer was who the victims were and the motivations behind their actions are seen today not through a neutral perspective but through the perspective of those that recorded and reported the crimes well over a century ago. Perspectives that were perhaps more invested in policing the poor inhabitants of Whitechapel or selling papers than identifying the truth. Even today, our most trusted techniques fail to find answers. In 2019, the forensic analysis of a DNA-stained shawl from one of the crime scenes seemed to point a finger at Aaron Kosminski, suggesting that the DNA corresponded to that of one of Kosminski's living relatives. But even this evidence could not confirm a culprit. Not only is the extent of the correspondence uncertain, critics of the analysis claim that it 
isn't even certain the shawl was ever at the crime scene. In the light of this analysis, and with Ripperologists no close to agreeing on the one true culprit, it's only fair to, to contemplate the future of Jack the Ripper case. Will the mystery ever come to a close, or will it remain unsolved for centuries and centuries to come? It will probably remain unsolved. <laughs> it happened too long ago. <laughs> Before there was things that could really help us. You know, I doubt that, you know, they were properly securing evidence from, you know, the crime scene to uh, not uh, muddy up the DNA evidence, all that sort of stuff, and to protect all of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's so many articles. You put news. I mean, this is all recent shit. This is all stuff from... July of 23, October 2023, a lot of from October 23. Uh. Oh, the I fucking love science put it out. Is this the face of Jack the Ripper? They have the face. <laughs> this is this is interesting. Uh what? It says, is this the face of Jack the Ripper? The face of Jack the Ripper may be on a 130-year-old walking stick. <laughs> Archivists have stumbled across a walking cane that's believed to depict a suspect in the case of Jack the Ripper, the notorious serial killer who raised hell in the east of London in the autumn of 1888. Ooh, it's a creepy... It's a creepy walking stick. Holy shit. Dude, looks like he's probably murdered 50 or 60 people. Uh, Jack... I'm going to go out of limb here. I'm going to say that is. At least a murderer. Maybe not Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper was responsible for murders of at least five female sex workers in the Whitechapel area. Marianne Polly Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Jane Kelly. Victims were killed with a slit of the throat, and in some instances, their internal organs were removed and their bodies mutilated. The skillful disembowelment has led to significant speculation that the murder may have worked in a skilled profession involving blades and scalpels such as surgeon, barber, or butcher. Dozens of suspected names have been thrown into the ring over the past 130 years, but the case remains unsolved to this day. There were, however, a number of suspects that the police had their eye on at the time, and there was even a facial composite of the killer, which researchers at the College of Policing believe the cane is based on. It is a creepy fucking cane, man. It is a creepy, creepy cane. Um, <laughs> if you go to iflscience.com, man, just look up Jack the Ripper and find this cane. It is. It's, it's creepy. Anyway, the walking cane was originally given to Chief Inspector Aberlein, the Chief Inspector for the London Metropolitan Police who led the investigation into the unsolved Whitechapel murders by his team in 1888. The cane had been lost for a number of years following the closure of Bramshill Police Staff College in 2015, where it was originally displayed. However, it was rediscovered last year by two staff members at the College of Policing who were sorting through policing memorabilia artifacts that had been moved into storage after the closure of the Bramshill site. Although this vaguely creepy carving is unlikely to settle the debate about Jack the Ripper's identity, the archivists believe it's an intriguing relic from this dark, grim chapter of London's history. Uh, finding the cane was an exciting moment for us. Jack the Ripper is one of the biggest and most infamous murder cases in our history. Its crimes were significant in paving the way for modern policing and forensics as it caused police to begin experimenting with and developing new techniques as they attempted to try and solve these murders such as crime scene pre preservation, profiling, and photography. Anthony Cash, content creator at the College of Policing, said in a statement, This walking cane is such a fascinating artifact, which represents such a historical significant time in policing, and it's amazing that we can put it out on display here and write alongside the original newspaper cuttings so that our officers can firsthand show uh, firsthand how far we've advanced in policing since then. It's a creepy looking thing. Uh. <laughs> uh. Yeah. If that's, I mean, they definitely made it look like a killer. I don't know that uh, it, it's the Jack the Ripper, but that dude looks like he's murdered many, many a people. Many people. 
Yeah, but, uh, back to back to Tony's birthday. Yeah, uh, so uh, went over there to the old the the old home to the Slapbox Bunker. Went over there and uh, had dinner with had a baked potato bar set up, which was quite good. Because uh, Tony loves a good baked potato. I hadn't had a baked potato in forever, and uh, played uh, some Mario Kart. Um, and, uh, one of the last Mario games, too, like the side-scrolling games. I forgot the name of that one. Um, but, uh, did that for a while, and, uh, I was talking, I don't remember what brought it up, but somehow I mentioned White Castle, and then it got into my head, I had to have fucking White Castle. And it should be noted that, uh, it was fucking cold last night. It was really fucking cold. It was like single digits, maybe even in the negative. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to drive to fucking White Castle in Fenton, which is, you know, like a 30-minute drive. I skip over Eureka, which is closer, because I, I've i never had good burgers from there. And uh, I I ended up going with uh, Jules up to, uh, up to White Castle. And uh, we got, oh, man, White Castle's menu has increased in size through the years. I'm surprised at how many different variations of stuff that you can get at the White Castle now. And they have mac and cheese nibblers, like fried mac and cheese. Balls. They're pretty pretty tasty. Like fried mac. And uh I got me a set of those of the the mac and cheese nibblers. And I got the uh, surf and turf which is uh just like a regular slider with the fish slider added to it. And I got two of those, and then I got a uh, chicken and waffles slider. It's just the chicken with bacon and the, the waffle bun. What you got there for a chicken and waffle slider. And for Tony and the, the boys, we got like, uh, there was a couple of uh, Sloppy Joe sliders. Uh, <laughs> and I think they had the jalapeno and che- jalapeno cheese sliders or something like that of that nature. I don't remember what all we we had ordered. There's chicken sliders, chicken rings. Uh, they got a lot of stuff, though. They got a breakfast menu. It's hard for me to imagine that, a breakfast menu at White Castle. Sadly, though, uh, when we got to White Castle, I was, I mean, it was late. It was after 10. It was probably close to 11 when we got up there. Yeah, I want to say it was probably about 11 o'clock when we hit there. And uh, the inside wasn't open. We were hoping to go in there because, like, we knew we weren't exactly sure what we were going to get. We get to the inside, and it's like, oh, no, man, it's we can't go in. We got It was so fucking cold. didn't really want to sit out in the car. Like, I wanted to go to the inside. But uh, I don't know if that uh, the Fenton one had... Like if they just decided uh, it's unnecessary to have the inside open twenty four hours. I mean, the, it is a twenty four hours White Castle. I remember back in the day when I was a child and even like a young adult, a YA, if you will, <laughs> uh, driving up there, and uh, in the wee early hours of the morn. You know, like two, three in the morning, going up there and sitting in the inside and eating. When I used to work second shift, uh, going on about twenty years ago at this point, um, not quite, but uh, when I worked second shift, I would drive up there easily, like three in the morning and shit with Trebejo, and we would uh, we'd sit in the inside, and get some fucking White Castle. Get like I'd get a twelve sack just for me, twelve sack of sliders, which just sounds like death to me now. Like I felt a little off getting up this morning with just having the two servant turf sliders and the chicken and waffles, but I had the baked potato stuff earlier too, so I ate way too much food last night. But uh, if I had ate a twelve sack today, like uh, at my age now, my stomach can't handle that shit anymore. Like I. It would be a suicide. It would be a White Castle suicide. I my stomach would explode, 
and uh, burgers would be all over the place. And man, I need to I need to oil my mic stand here. It is it is really squeaky. <laughs> Get some WD forty out on that bitch. Uh, anyway. Uh. So uh, I survived White Castle last night. I've got, you know, sm- wiser to the fact that I can't eat many of those things. But, I mean, there was a certain love. It's it's either you love White Castle or you fucking hate it. And, unfortunately, Jackman uh, is not, he, he does not like White Castle. But uh, since it was Tony's birthday, uh, I figured, you know. She wanted White when I brought it up, she sounded like she really wanted, like, well, I got to do this. That and I got like a crack fiend just talking about it made me had to get White Castle. I was like, I'm fucking down. I'm doing this. We're going. We're g- <laughs> uh, gonna get some whiteies, some belly bombers. Oh, it, it is weird. Like, just smelling that stuff brings it's like uh, the memories come back of like childhood. And everything of eating it as a child. Staying late, staying up late on Saturday nights, watching Three Stooges marathons, and then going out and get some whiteies. Some White Castle. Like Harold and Kumar. (laughs) Although we weren't high. At least I wasn't. My father probably was. (laughs) He probably really was. (laughs) Ugh. Uh, yeah, uh, I, uh, an update, I still currently have a job. It's been two weeks since they told me that, uh, basically I might lose my job and, and it's, I've managed to survive the two weeks. I haven't gotten off the position I was at. I think I'm currently safe. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Uh, it's probably a good idea that I just, you know, keep an eye out on uh, what kind of jobs are open right now. And, uh. Whether or not I may be able to pick up that job, <laughs> so I, I I haven't been unemployed since uh, I don't remember when. See, I'm 42 now. The last time I went without a job, I was 20. Yeah, I have to think about it. So 22 years ago, almost 23 years ago, was the last time I went unemployed for any uh, period of time. So, I mean, I was at Magnet for 21 years, and then I had different jobs, like, uh, you know, briefly had, like, part-time jobs outside of that, and uh, although, you know, I did quit for one week in, in the middle of those 21 years uh, to become a car salesman that lasted a whole week, but, uh, you know, I had another job. I wasn't employed, and then I went immediately back to Magnet. So it's like I never... It's been really since I was 20 that I went any significant period being unemployed. That's the only period in my adult life where I was unemployed. Like, I think it was a, like a three month stretch, something like that, two or three month stretch. You know, I lived at home with my mom, so it wasn't like I had a whole lot of bills. And, uh, anyway, yeah, I actually had some, a little bit of money saved up, I guess. I'm not sure. Somehow I was able to go a couple of months without a job. I can't imagine that now. If I went a month without a job, I'd be so fucked. I have so many bills. Like uh, the 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 mortgage on the uh, the penthouse here not not great. You know, it's 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 not gonna pay itself. Not gonna pay itself. I mean, if I I do lose my job, I would cash. I believe I get uh, whatever vacation time I have left, which is not much. Might be like a day or two at this point. Uh, and like, uh, I get that. And then uh, I would, I guess, cash out my 401k, which is like a little, not quite four grand. It's, <clears throat> which would, would get me, I could get through like a month, I guess, without, and then I'd be able to claim unemployment too. So that would help out a little bit, but I would need to find a job like ASAP. <laughs> it would need to be, Immediately, I'd be I'd be scratching everywhere like a like a crack fiend, and probably eating sawdust to like save money, and just uh, 
I'd probably have to cancel like all my streaming services and shit. Like it it would be I'd be freaking out. The last thing I'd do though is like probably sell like my guitars. <laughs> Maybe one or two of the guitars, but I'm definitely not selling like the Gibson. Like that that's a no go. That one's that one's sticking around. Uh like uh I would I would have a hard time selling the Tom Morello strat. Well, I haven't really played it much in a while. I've been playing the uh Noel Gallagher Epiphone Riviera like a lot. I've been learning a lot of Foo Fighters and stuff on that. And uh since I got a setup on that, man, it plays so nicely. Uh, it's put the uh Ernie Ball skinny top heavy bottom on there. And oh she plays like a dream. And uh yeah, I mean there's so I could make some money off selling my guitar shit. I've got was it seven guitars? Seven, I think. And then I've got a, a pedal board with quite a few different pedals on there and an amp. Well, I got two amps if you count the one over at the Muffin Man's house. I mean I could probably pay off some debt, you know, if I sold all of that shit. But I really enjoyed that stuff. I I think I'd rather soon just buy a bike, get a a working bicycle. I have a a bike that uh, is in disrepair. It's all fucked up because it was left outside for a really long time. Um, I would soon rather get like a bicycle <laughs> and ride that everywhere, and but and sell my car than uh, get rid of the guitars. Ah. <laughs> uh. That would make it a little difficult, though, to get a job outside of anywhere within, uh, you know, a couple of miles from here. <laughs> like, if it was a couple of miles, yeah, I could ride my bike. Yeah, sure. I would, uh... But the car doesn't provide me a lot of entertainment. And, uh, it would make grocery shopping a little bit of a bitch. <laughs> Be a little difficult. Unfortunately, I don't live uh, anywhere real close to a grocery store. There used to be a grocery store downtown, but there's there's not anymore. <clears throat> Back when Drogies was around, like that one wouldn't be too far for me. Like if I would have just ridden my bicycle down to Drogies and then picked up some shit. I guess the closest one to me, which has some groceries, would be Dollar General over by the hospital. That's about that's only about a little over a mile away. <clears throat> but uh Anyway, yeah, still currently employed. Things are working out at the moment. <laughs> uh, and uh, see what like what else was I going to talk about tonight? There was there were things there were things as uh, my show prep is clearly still not really there. Still haven't uh, been doing that at all. As uh, <laughs> uh, man, it was nice to play other video games last night. I know that. Then other than Call of Duty, it was uh, I uh, I didn't win the overall in uh, the uh, Mario Kart, but I didn't. I wasn't terrible. I was usually coming in second. Like in the we were doing the Grand Prix stuff. The battle one, I sucked at that. When we did battle, yeah, it was bad. It was really bad. I didn't like the battle. Josh doesn't like the battle. <laughs> uh, there's there's definitely some games that, man, I really would enjoy to play. And that, like, uh, there is, uh, of course, that RoboCop one, which I believe I had mentioned before on here. And uh, that one just looks... Fantastic. At first when I saw it, I thought, I don't know. And uh, Robocop Rogue City, that is. I got it pulled up on Steam. Um, Really? <laughs> Enter my birthday. Um, Kiss on my ass. <laughs> Let's see here. It had it all right except for the month. <laughs> as, uh, they did such a good job making it look like the old movie. Like there's... Oh, it looks like they do have the TV uh, scenes and stuff in there. Let's see here. Oh, man. Just beautiful. I mean, that looks like fucking RoboCop. 
It is. I don't know if they have like Clarence Boddicker and stuff in there. I'm not really sure. Uh, they don't have a whole lot. In like, uh, trying to see if they've got some kind of reviews and stuff here. I mean, the Muffin reviews, not the Muffin Man, but the Muffin says recommend. It gives it a thumbs up. Sticks with the original concepts of man versus machine dilemma. Juggling what's right versus what's politically convenient and humanizes main characters and side characters. A uh, see, full choice, full of choices, many of which have substantial impacts on story outcome. That's A+. Plus. Great time strolling down memory lane from RC1 and RC... Oh, RoboCop 1 and <laughs> RoboCop 2, A+. Plus. Gameplay... Auto-9 uh, comes with unlimited ammo and is as powerful as it looks in the movies. Unlimited ammo. That seems like shouldn't be a thing, but... Hearing the Auto-9 shoot is like hearing the signing of the angel... Or singing of the angels. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> customizing the Auto-9 into something even more powerful is badass. Hidden side objectives are easy to miss and revealed after the level when players cannot go back to get. And that's only ranked to see here. This is a shooting baddies is just satisfying every time. No new game plus mode to continue on with all your perks, boards, and chips, but you have almost all the point perk points you'll need anyway to make the end boss a breeze if played right. Uh, Over-the-top gore button, comic book style, says true to Verhoeven's original masterpiece. The voice acting will make players want to turn the Auto-9 onto themselves, so C-, minus, really. But Peter Weller reprises his role as the voice of RoboCop, so adjusted to A-. minus. <laughs> so I guess Peter Weller's probably the only one from the original series in it if that's what they're having to say um fan service everything to uh everyone loved about the first two movies is in here so many callbacks throwbacks easter eggs and good memories it's like playing through a sequel for to the first two movies but it's rated r and doesn't suck overall a nine out of ten uh yeah all i don't see really any negative reviews on here this is uh, all recent stuff. There's a lot of reviews. 5,718 reviews. A lot of reviews. <clears throat> Fucking RoboCop. I would like to play that. I mean, my first thoughts when I first started seeing action, it seemed a bit slow and whatnot. Um, <clears throat> like, uh,. Like wonky the gameplay, but that was like early stuff I saw, and then like seeing more and more just sounds fantastic. I just don't want to spend sixty dollars on it. Um, I think it was on sale for like forty, and I missed it. Uh, I would like to play. They have the new Indiana Jones like first person game that I don't know when that one's coming out. It looks, it looks entertaining. Um. See here, Indiana Jones game. Uh, ooh, it's Indiana Jones and the Great Circle. That's what it is. This is Bethesda.net. Um, <clears throat> gameplay reveal here is January eighteenth. Become the legendary archaeologist in Indiana Jones and the Great Circle, the new first-person action-adventure game from Machine Games in collaboration with Lucasfilm Games and executive producer Todd Howard. It's, oh, it's definitely a picture, a drawing of Harrison Ford. As uh, I wonder if Harrison Ford is involved in this. Let's see here. I don't know that I would really have this in this article. But definitely the game, man, it definitely makes it look like a Harrison Ford. That is fantastic. Uh, uh, this is a short article. I guess I can go ahead and read over this. Uh, the official reveal of Indiana Jones The Great Circle was debuted during the January Developer Direct with over 13 minutes of gameplay footage and developer insights. 
this new journey starring the legendary archaeologist comes from the award-winning team at Machine Games, the minds behind Wolfenstein, The New Order, and Wolfenstein, The New Colossus, in collaboration with Lucasfilms, Games, and executive produced by Bethesda Games Studios, Todd Howard. Indiana Jones and the Great Circle is coming later this year to Xbox Series XS and PC and will be available day one on Game Pass. What about PlayStation, you fuckers? Check out the full announce uh, from the developer direct and get more insights from the team at Machine Games below. Set between Raiders of the Lost Ark and The Last Crusade, Indiana Jones and the Great Circle is a first-person single-player adventure that will take you all over the world, uncovering clues and solving an ancient mystery. Become the adventurer in a race against sinister forces. Your journeys will take you from the hallowed halls of the Vatican and the arid deserts of Egypt and the lush and sunken temples of Sukhothai and the frigid peaks of the Himalayas. Uh, Our game is about putting you in the shoes of an iconic hero, says design director Jens Anderson. Uh, Jens, uh, probably Jens Anderson. Anyway. Since we are doing this mostly in first person, you have the chance to truly become indie. First person makes you part of this world, allowing you to explore and experience things more intimately. What will you do when you are dropped into this adventure with your wits and your whip? The world of Indiana Jones is a world with mysteries around every corner, where you're racing against the clock and outsmarting your enemies as you hunt down artifacts. From their approach to crafting unique and believable stories and characters to their over-the-top and unforgettable set pieces, Machine Games is the perfect studio to bring Indiana Jones to modern gaming. It's like two pieces of a puzzle that just fit so well together, says senior animator Rebecca Elstrom Hyden. We have big, sometimes crazy ideas that seem insane on paper, but they mesh really well with the franchise. You've got this amazing adventure that digs into the heart of the character, and shines light on all the things that made people fall in love with him in the first place. And then you've got these big, complex set pieces that just fit really well in there. Our DNA and the pillars of Indiana Jones just came together so naturally. Ah. And the team can't wait for the world to see more of what they've been working on. Everyone at Machine Games has their own reasons for why indie is so important to them. It's the feeling of taking part in a great adventure. And memories of growing up watching the movies with their families. For some, it's even been about passing that love and those moments down to their own kids. There are a lot of Indiana Jones fans at Machine Games. Most of us grew up with Indy and fell in love with the movies and the character when we were young. We've just got these ties to the character that go back decades, agrees game director Jerk (laughs) Gustafson. Jerk, or would it be Yerk? Yerk Gustafsson? I don't know. Anyway. But even if... It's spelled jerk. But even if you didn't grow up with the Indiana Jones, you know Indiana Jones. He's a relatable type of hero and a true adventurer. That's a legacy we want to share and be part of, and we want to build something interesting and genuine. Yeah, I just feel like that's just a lot of, a lot of hype. A lot of hype there. Uh, and... uh. Damn it. Um, anyway. <clears throat> there was a... Uh, oh, man. I am getting some weird shit going on in this damn page. Uh, I Knowing that it was uh, the makers of the Wolfenstein... Um, I feel like... See here. I feel like uh, I'm I'm not a fan of like the newer Wolfenstein games. I like the story and stuff, but the overall like look of it and whatnot, I'm not crazy about. Like uh, I really feel like uh, it's just not just not my bag. (laughs) And I'm a fan of like just the overall story. I mean, I love the original Wolfenstein. And what have you. Um, <clears throat> I definitely love. Love that old shit. Love the. Uh, 
I just don't really like the and the story to the like the newer games is cool. I've watched pretty much like the whole story on YouTube and everything, but trying to play them, I'm not crazy about the gameplay. Just not crazy about it. I'm not even sure exactly what it is. I just don't give a fuck about the gameplay. Just didn't draw me in there. I would say though that uh <sighs> I mean, I'm I'm gonna have to at least play the Indiana Jones game. I mean, I fucking, I fucking love Indiana Jones, and I'm sure I would get, I'm gonna love like just the having Harrison Ford and everything in there. But again, I worry that the gameplay is gonna suck ass. That's my biggest concern. I mean, just hearing the, I'm sure they'll probably have the music and stuff, license that shit in there. Um, but I feel like I'm my biggest concern would be the gameplay. So I mean I I do love do love Indiana Jones. The last time I remember playing an Indiana Jones game was probably <laughs> I want to say on the NES. Maybe I played I feel like there was one on the Super Nintendo that I might have played, but I remember playing like the Temple of Doom game on the NES way back in the day. It had like the mine car stuff on it and uh I don't remember. Oh, you know, there was a Last Crusade game on there as well. There was a Last Crusade. And uh Agent Mulder is getting is getting fed at the moment. <laughs> um but yeah, there was uh, a <laughs> There was that. There I know there I know there was one on the the like the Super Nintendo, but I don't think I, if I did play it, would have been over at Toddy's Toddy's house, and it would have been like briefly played it sort of situation. Um, and uh, yeah, playing a new one though, uh, the new next gen, you know, sounds fun. As as I. Just think about it more than more concerned. Like, oh yeah, I don't know. I don't know how good this is gonna be. <laughs> in theory, in theory, it sounds great. What is great though is uh, seeing on the Bethesda this article for the Bethesda. Their senior global content lead is Ann Lewis. Which fun fact? I was just talking about RoboCop, is also the name of uh, Murphy's sidekick. It's Ann Lewis. As uh, <laughs> I wonder if <laughs> I wonder if uh, she just goes by the Ann Lewis. Maybe like that could be like even. Well, I guess Ann Marie Lewis is her full according to like X. But I'm just wondering if she just goes. Maybe she switched it. Maybe it was Marie. But maybe she's just a fan of you know RoboCop. This could be. This could be a thing. She was formerly at Ubisoft. Oh, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> she's part-time half-orc not your real dad well that's good to know not my not my real dad <laughs> uh, as, uh, I feel like she should be working on the RoboCop game being Ann Lewis and all anyway yeah I would definitely look forward to that I still haven't I'm going to look it up here I have yet to see anything more on the Friday the 13th game As uh, it's not really. Google's not helping me out here. Let's see here, this is uh. Help me out, fuckers. Uh, yeah, there's no new articles. Um. <laughs> no new articles about the new. New one, new new one. Like why? Yeah, that's still from like last June, and is the most recent shit about that. Just give me more details. At least tell me the studio behind it. Is it? <laughs> is it Machine Games? <laughs> Are they making a Wolfenstein <laughs> type Friday Thirteenth? Um, I don't know how you'd have a first-person shooter with Friday Thirteenth. I'm sure you can make it happen. It could be a first-person slasher. 
You could just be Jason running around killing. There's just a massive camp full of counselors. Just going around hacking. Hacking. I guess you could be like a counselor too and then just barely find any weapons. You got to find, you may be lucky to find like a bow and arrow and a shotgun. But uh, the only one you're going to really, I guess, attempt to kill is Jason. And maybe you have a Roy situation in there. You could have a, a fake Jason. A, a faux Jason, if you will. And, uh, yeah. Uh, man, they need to put more put more info out there. Not seeing that they've gone this long without actually announcing anything. Makes no wonder, is this game even going to come out? It's It seems doubtful. I mean, I mean, it hasn't been quite a year yet since they leaked some information about it. But I'm still not seeing... Still not seeing anything here, man. This is uh, saddening. I want more information, you bastards. As uh, <clears throat> this this is a damn shame, damn shame. I I need more Friday Thirteenth in my life. Is uh, <laughs> uh, there's there is those uh, never sleep alone. Or no, uh, shit. The, I forgot the names of them, but there's the ones they put out on YouTube, the fan-made films that actually have the uh, guy that played Tommy Jarvis in Part Six, and it that uh, never hike alone in the woods or something like to that effect. Um, <coughs> I believe that's the thing. Uh, but there's uh, I'd rather be uh. I get a new game. I just really, I just want the old game to come back and put more new content out, which isn't going to happen. Their servers are shutting down before too long, and uh, I hope the new game captures some of that magic. Uh, as uh, I don't know if they're even putting it out a move. I know they got the cr- uh, Crystal Lake that's supposed to come out. Um, as far as movies, I I don't know anything more about that. I would like to see the Crystal Lake. Unfortunately, I believe it's like Hulu that put that out. Um, and last October, Jason Bloom, I guess, said he still wants to make a new Friday Thirteenth movie. Uh, that doesn't say anything about him actually doing one. That's it. Yeah. No new articles really on on that other than like the Fangoria talking to Bloom Bloomhouse. Well, that one says that uh Bloomhouse's uh Ryan Turek and Jason Bloom want to bring Jason Voorhees back to the big screen. But is that even possible? It's been close to 15 years since we've had a new Friday the 13th movie in theaters, which in my humble slasher loving opinion is just wholly unacceptable. In fairness, much of that has had to do with the lawsuit between original screenwriter Victor Miller and director Sean Cunningham. With the Crystal Lake TV show in the works at Peacock, the tide finally appears to be turning. Now the folks at Bloomhouse are once again making it known they want to bring Voorhees back to the big screen. Blumhouse's Ryan Turk recently spoke with folks at Inverse in anticipation of the release of the Exodus Believer. Blah blah blah. blah. Basically, just saying they want to do it. I don't see anything that they're currently like in the works. Just kind of carousing over that article without going too in depth on it. Um, so yeah, I'm not seeing any anything really in the works here. It's it's a damn shame. I I could I love seeing that stuff like in the theater. Like Jason and Freddy are just so good in the theater. I don't know about a new Friday third. I mean, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, to me, like Freddy is Robert England. I went and saw the one with Jackie Early Haley uh, when that was in the theater. What, like ten, fifteen years ago? Whatever the fuck that was. It was a while back. Uh, but uh, I uh. I wasn't a fan of that one. wasn't a fan of that one. And, I mean, I went into it thinking, like, yeah, I'm probably not going to like this. I was really just like, ugh. I wasn't feeling it, man. I mean, 
the whole the whole thing is like Robert England, man. That's what made Freddy so good. Or so bad, if you will. Um <laughs> but uh the definitely uh with you know, Friday the thirteenth, you just get a big dude that can act menacingly by his movements. Like it's not necessary uh, like it's it's not a personality thing per se. It's just like the right angles you're using and stuff. Um I know a lot of people say that, you know, Kane Hodder was the, the best of like the Jasons and all, but sure you might I'm sure you can find somebody and it's it's not gonna upset me if it's not Kane Hodder. I mean he's old as shit now. It's there's been plenty of other people in that suit. You just get the hockey mask you do the makeup right. And like I I'm gonna buy that it's Jason Voorhees. I'll buy it. just as long as they don't do a a part nine. Don't do Jason Goes to Hell again where you make this slug-like thing come out and start infecting other people and it's just a random person that's basically Jason. But not Jason. Not in the hockey mask. You get him a little bit at the beginning and at the end of uh, Jason Goes to Hell. That's it. That's all the Voorhees you get. I'd rather have Jason X, man. I'd rather have Jason in space. Where he becomes a cyborg. That, That was much much better than part nine part nine to me is always going to be Jason goes to hell is the fucking worst of the worst. Don't make another Jason goes to hell. We don't need that kind of sequel. That is keep that shit in the shitter. (laughs) Uh, that would, uh, but that's, I guess really all, all I've got tonight. Um, as all of a sudden I had, the car song gets stuck in my head. You're all I've got tonight. <laughs> That's just how my brain is wired. Anyway. Yeah, I'm, I guess I'm going to call this one. Uh, as always, that is a kid in a wheelchair, not a trash can.